All right, it is good to see everybody here this morning. And as you're finding a seat, we want to welcome all those people at home that are watching. I've always wanted to say that. And we are glad that you're joining us today in the service. And uh, we are just so thrilled, everybody that is here and everybody that is home watching. I, I believe, as I've said before, that when we get a word from God, it'll change our life. And anybody can... Believe that with me. We've already confessed during our worship time that we're going to build our life on Him and His love. We're not going to be shaken. So this morning as we continue on, we, we believe... Some people say, are you going to just continue on as usual? No, never is usual. We always are expecting God to show up and change our life. And this morning I want to encourage you because you know that as I speak, the Holy Spirit can anoint the message for your life and customize it, tailor it, to speak right where you're at, right this moment in your life. Well, Pastor, how do you know where I'm at? I, I don't know where you're at, but I do know that the Holy Spirit knows where you're at. And we're going to open up the Word of God, and we're just going to, again, just as eating good food, we're going to enjoy together the presence of the Holy Spirit as the Word of God goes forth. Anybody with me on that? Amen. Let's pray. Father, today as we open up your Word, and God, we, we learn the truths of your Word for our life. That, God, that we choose to be more than uh, just hearers of the Word, but doers. And, God, we know that when we hear that we're overcomers in this world. And, Father, today, God, we receive what you have for us. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be introduced in our series that we're going through 90. 90 days that we're going through marching or the journey to the cross of what Jesus Hello. When, when Jesus was going to the cross, and we, we've been going through different things in the Word of God, and today we're going to continue on that. Gentlemen, am I doing something wrong? Let me try this. Because everybody wants to blame those guys. <laughs> and, and I've been those guys where I'm kind of like this down in the sound booth. Is there anybody running now back there? Anyway. Today we're going to be talking about the most powerful, really it's a... a it's a transformational way of looking at leadership. And, and as we are believers, we know that the Word of God says that we're in the world, but we're not of this world. We know that there is something that is we're looking forward to. But as we're in this world, as, as we're believers, as we're, we're right here, right now, that we are leading the world as they look to us for answers. Can you believe that you're in that spot? Gentlemen, give me hand signals. I'll, I'll go to handheld mic if I need to. But what we're going to be talking about is the concept that would turn the world upside down. That, that an empire that would look at... Okay, that's enough. Boom, pop. Is that good? I'm going to get a microphone now. All right. That it explains in part how an empire that looked at Christianity as kind of appalling would eventually embrace it and it would change the whole world. This morning as we continue the series, we've, we've talked about how 
this group of really at first it, it looks from the outside as a ragtag group of people that that begin to believe in this well he's a carpenter and 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 he begins to do things that look different than anybody else that is doing things and you know they don't have an army they don't really have a geographical territory that they're considering as a country we know they're in Israel but even the authority is not in favor of them but this is a group of people that will, again, as you look from where they are to the future, there, there's no way that this is a, a group of people that is going to change the world. Now, this morning, out of all the miracles that Jesus did, and, and when we think of all the ones of, you know, turning water into wine, or we, we know about feeding the 5,000, probably of all the miracles that he did, probably the one that caused the greatest stir was raising Lazarus from the dead. And, and maybe some of you have heard this story before, but it's amazing how God has prepared this message weeks ago for today. Lazarus was a man that was well known. He lived in a place called Bethany. We know that Jesus knew uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his sisters and people uh, knew that because we, we know that they wrote about him going to Lazarus' house. We know that Mary and Martha fixed him dinner and, and we know that story and and, and in this situation that we're going to be talking about, the first part of this message is that here's a man that Jesus knew. And the Bible says that word comes to him that Lazarus is sick. Now, I, I can just see, and, and this is John Miller, this isn't in the Bible, but I can just see a situation where people would begin to go, you know what, uh, what are we going to do? And the disciples were some of those people that said, come on, let's go. We're going to go, right? This is how it works. Jesus, you're going to go and heal Lazarus. He's our friend. We've had dinner with him. That's the least we could do. Let's go. And Jesus goes, well, that's not the plan. And so many times when you read the word of God, everybody thinks this is the way Jesus is going to go. And Jesus says, no, no, I'm doing it different than what even you think that I should do. The Bible says that Jesus waits. And we'll pick this story up in just a few seconds, but I want you to realize that Bethany, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, he is already, you know, I don't know how you can be more dead. He, he's dead, dead. He's embalmed. He's entombed. The stone's over. You know, you can say he's done. The, the, the mourners have been hired. The, the, the funeral is just coming to the last part of it. You could say the potato salad is already on the table. It's ready to go for the funeral dinner. And Jesus comes into this scene and raises him from the dead. Bethany will become even a tourist attraction. People will begin to go to Bethany just to see if they can have a, a, a Lazarus sighting. There he is. Have you ever thought about when miracles were taking place, those people that were close to Jesus, but then those people that were on the fringe, they would show up and here comes a guy with a hurt leg and they go, watch it, watch it, watch it, watch it. Oh, look at that leg. Did you see it grow out? That's amazing. And then somebody would come up with a withered hand. He goes, watch it, watch it. Here he goes again, here he goes. Wow, did you see that? But here's, here's a miracle of Lazarus and in as I've taught before, the tradition is that after three days in, in this culture, that the, that the spirit would leave the body and, and sometimes hover for three days. I don't know who came up with this, but it was a culture thinking if he was going to be resurrected, it had to be pretty quick here. But 
after no hope, Jesus shows up on the scene to give hope to the situation and encouragement to people that are going, there's no hope. And he says, wait just a minute. Watch this. Now this morning, I want you to look at John chapter 11. We're going to look at two Gospels in, in this week's part of the series. In Luke chapter 11, verse 46, it says this, But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. Sanhedrin. Now, now what, what is this that we talked about? They're kind of like the Supreme Court and the Parliament all put together. They, the the uh, Sanhedrin represented Israel to Rome. So they wanted to keep the status quo. And they have an emergency meeting to discuss what is happening. I mean, it's an it's a emergency. Now, I want you to think about this. We, we talked about a couple weeks ago, or last week, about Nicodemus, and we, we talked about how he came to Jesus by night, and, and how can a man be born again unless he enters the mother's womb? How, how was that? Nicodemus is, and then we hear the famous words that God loved the world so much that he gave his son, that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not come into the world to condemn the world, but through him that the world would be saved. All, all that amazing. Nicodemus is part of the Sanhedrin. And we think that he's there because in verse 47 it continues and says the, the, the chief priest in the, the emergency meeting, they say, what are we accomplishing, they ask. Here is the man perform, performing many signs. Now again, we think of miracles, you know, and kind of sporadic as he's going through. The, but these people that are in the Sanhedrin, they know what's going on. And they can see it more as just something that's happening. They see that it's pointing and he's creating signs that is pointing to something. And what's the sign that he's pointing to? That he's the Messiah. See, sometimes we overlook this. But in their view, they know what's happening. They go on to say, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. Oh, did they know what was coming? that you and I would be in a church thousands of years later. Pretty amazing, isn't it? It says, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both the temple. We know that that meant everything to them. They thought that that was where the presence of God dwelt, and that's only where it was going to be forever. We talked about how Jesus said, greater than the temple is here. So they're coming up with this revelation that, that, that they'll come and take the temple away from us and the nation. How will the world even experience God? See, again, what we forget is Jesus came on the scene to replace everything that was. See, Jesus didn't come on the scene to have Judaism 2.0. He didn't come on the world to, to make the second part of the Bible. This is a brand new day. That was done. If that was an assignment, it had been finished. He's creating a new way. Now, here's the chief priest and the elders. They say, it's enough. So it goes on to say, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. And, and sometimes you wonder, how do we know this? How do we know that then from then on the reaction, Jesus probably could have gotten word from Nicodemus that was at that meeting. They're coming to take you. That's just 
conjecture, but I want you to think about it because in verse 54 it said, Therefore Jesus no longer moved around publicly among the people of Judea. And, and this is right at the time. Now think about this. If you look at the book of John, it says this is coming closer and closer to the biggest festival of the year. You know, for us, it would be probably something like Christmas, but this was Passover. This was their Easter for us. This was the time of year in Passover where pilgrims would come from all over the region. If not, if they could, they would have even started from all parts of the world to come to Jerusalem. In the book of John, it says that there's spies that are positioned all through the city where people would meet so that they could send word back to the Sanhedrin. He's over here. Come get him. Now this is days before the Passover and Jesus and his group of followers, the disciples, they go back to Bethany on their way to Jerusalem. In John chapter 12, it says this, verse 9. I like this. A large crowd. It was a crowd. Now it's becoming larger. It's a large crowd. Of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came not only because of him, but also, guess who? Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. It says, so the chief priest made plans to kill Lazarus as well. This guy can't get a break. Now think about this. Here's a guy that has a testimony built in that's saying nobody can deny that he was dead because there were so many people there that knew that he was dead, dead. So because of his testimony they want to kill him too. Let's just wipe him out. It says this is why. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Now, I want to stop here because a lot of people need to hear this. And, and I don't know what kind of place that you were raised in. But... Early Christianity was not a place that people said, just have faith in faith. But it's by faith that you are saved. In other words, early Christians actually put their faith in Jesus as the Messiah because they believed Him to be the Messiah on what they saw, evidence. This was people that were walking and, and being around the miracles that took place and they could actually witness it. And therefore they put their faith in Him in the results of seeing what Jesus was doing. This is a part of our faith that we have to realize that we believe that Jesus is who He says He is and can do what He says He can do in our lives. Now in verse 32 it says, The next day... The great crowd, it's not just a large crowd now, it's a great crowd that had come from the, for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And again, this is the media buzz. This is the, the word of mouth that's going like a virus. All right, It's going, it's spreading. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Did you hear that? Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Let me guess. Jesus is going to Jerusalem. And the word becomes, uh, again, so viral that it begins to spread. And, and people are going, are you going to Jerusalem? I'm going to Jerusalem to see Jesus. It says in verse 19, So the Pharisees said to one another, 
Say this is getting us nowhere. Ready? Look how the whole world has gone after him again. Little did they know how much they would be true. This is... This, this is a critical moment in the story because emotions are high, the, the stage is set. Jerusalem is filled with spies. They got a group of people that are against Jesus. The majority are for Jesus. This is Super Bowl Sunday. I mean, this is big. In Mark chapter 10, now listen to this today. I want you to get this. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. Isn't that amazing? I mean, you kind of get this picture that you got this whole group of people, this whole parade of people, and but Jesus is out front. And he's leading the way. Now listen to the next word in this sentence. It says, again. So this wasn't the first time. We don't know what happened. Let me just kind of put something in here that it might have been a time where they took a break on the way to Jerusalem and, and people began to sit around and kind of take a break and Jesus kind of says, okay, guys, come here. And in verse 32, it says, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Now, this is Jesus. And he's going to, here, here, here's a way. He's going to call a shot. He says this, we're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Gentiles will mock him, spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. The disciples, apparently, this is unimaginable to them because of the context of the surrounding and the time period they're in. Are you, what? Spitting and flogging and kicking and screaming and what? Think about it. The momentum is huge in Jesus' favor. His political rating is at an all-time high. He's a shoe-in. We all know the disciples have talked about it. We're on our way to Jerusalem for one thing. The Passover, yeah, that's pretty good because everybody will be together. But he will declare himself king and we are... We, we kind of found our step. That's who we are. That We're the disciples. And, and Jesus kind of, kind of surprises them by this spitting and flogging and killing and... What? But here's what I want you to see. The, the next word is the word then. So right after he tells them the story about going to Jerusalem and dying, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, we, we know them. We, we talked about them a few weeks ago, the fishermen. The sons of Zebedee came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. That's too bad about the uh, spitting, mocking, and flocking, flogging, and dying thing. But, but we, we've got something that you can do for us. Now, I don't want to be too rough on this because you're my friends. But if you're like me, if I'm not careful, God, I know you're the creator of the universe and all that. That's great. That, I know that. But 
about my prayer? <laughs> could, could you move that on up to the front of the list there? And, and this is what the disciples are doing. J- James and John are going, hey, 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 I got something. I, I have a need. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? They replied, let one of us sit on your right, one of us sit on your left in your glory. You know, Jesus, when you go into Jerusalem and you pull your robe and it has that big M on it, Messiah, you know, you know, it, I'm so sorry about that spitting, mocking and flogging and spitting and flogging and dying and all that, whatever that was, you know, after that, after you get the authority down the road a little bit, cleaned up a little bit, because we, we know that you're number one. <laughs> number one, you give me a J, give me an E, but we're number, can we be number two? Come on now. We got more spirit, yes we do. Peter, it, it goes on to say when the other ten found out, they go, What? And it says that they become mad. And I begin to think, is it because they're asking out of pride or is it the other ten are going, well, who made them number two and number three? Peter could have said, I'm the one that got out of the boat. And someone would say, yeah, but you hunk. What about me? And you know, the bickering that went back and forth, I should be number two and number three. I know, when you become in authority, I, I want to be up there at the top. And Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. He realized, because he could see in the future, there was going to be glory before glory. And he says, you can't handle it. In verse 42 it says, Jesus called them together and said, now now it's almost like he's going to drop a bomb right on them. He says, you know, again, they're they're kind of in the, let's paint a picture that might have been. Everybody's taking a break and he's giving them this chat on the roadside and let's suppose he's under a grove of trees maybe and they're all sitting around and and, and he's telling them, you know, what's going to happen and they say, well, put me number two, number three and now he's going to drop a bomb and this bomb will change the world that we live in. Ready? Here's what he says. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Now, now, before I go on, those two Greek words regarding authority will pop in their brain because they understand that. They'll say, yes, we know what we're asking. We, we know we can handle it. We know how authority works. That's why we're asking to be up at the top. We're we're talking about the top of the pole. We want to be king of the hill, or at least by the king of the hill. Because we know that's where the perks are. That's where the benefits are. And then he speaks these five works in the Greek that are going to be translated for us in the English. 
These five words are not always easy for you and I, but really we should print those out and look at them every day, especially if you're in a form of leadership. And let me tell you, as Christians, we all are leaders. Leadership is nothing but influence. And and in today's time period, we're all leading and influencing people that are around us. And Jesus says, you know how they exercise authority over their followers, those Gentiles? He says, watch this, these four words, not so with you. Can you repeat those words? Because it'll ring in your mind, hopefully this week and weeks to come. Not so with you. Will you say that again? Not so with you. Say it again. Not so with you. Okay, now let's change you to a little bit more personal. Because it's easier to go you, but me. Not so with me. Will you say it? Not so with me. Jesus came to turn the world upside down. See, in a world that the government of the time was from the top down, and the religious world had modeled the world of the government, of the world government, of saying top down, Jesus would take that and turn it upside down and say to his disciples, not so with you. And then he continues on. Watch this. He says, instead, whoever wants to be great among you, wait for it. In other words, it's fine to aspire to greatness. It's fine to be an official or a ruler. Whoever wants to be great among you. I'm sure anybody want to be great? They were going, yeah. Didn't we just talk about that and argue about that, that I'm better than you and you're better? No, you're not better than me, but. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. All the hands went down. I wonder if they shuddered because they knew what servanthood was. Some of them had had servants in their house. And they begin to go, you know what, I I don't, what now? That's not fun. And you're talking about being a servant to that guy? He couldn't even walk on water. But then he goes a step further. Jesus goes the next step further and saying a servant, but he says this, and whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. Whoa, 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 whoa. You, it's, I, come on, I, I'm a servant, but a slave? The slave is at the back of the line of the servants. Sometimes a servant might get paid, but a slave, uh-uh. Now, now think, this is the contrast again. People that think, you know what, I'm going to do this, and Jesus goes, no, 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 not for you. You're going to do this if you're a follower. Because I'm going here. To be a slave of all? That's that's not good. Now listen, this morning, this could be on your Christmas card. (laughs) Jesus states 
the mission that he came to do right here. And, and sometimes we miss this. This is a snapshot, boom, right here of what he did. Listen, he says this in verse 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I, I love the word ransom because, again, you can just see mankind being kidnapped in a place that there was nobody that could pay the price until Jesus goes, whoa, I'll show up on the scene and I'll pay the price for them because I love them. We talked about it last week of God looking down on the world and understanding the problem was that the world needed a blood transfusion. Jesus coming down to earth saying, you know what, I'm willing to give my blood for the solution. Now he's saying for a ransom for many. For the Son of Man did not come to be served. The King of Kings did not come to be served. And to give his life, but to give his life for a ransom for many. They had no idea what was coming. Jesus was the king, but he was turning and reversing the order. Instead of a king having his subjects serve him, he was going to change it to serve his subjects. Now, I want you to just stop right here in the story and we'll pick it up. But I believe the disciples got this whole principle of leadership. And I don't think they got it maybe under the sycamore tree on the roadside little, you know, fireside chat. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go into I don't know if they got it because later and we'll talk in a couple weeks, the next three weeks don't miss as we lead up to Easter. But but we know that they argue even at the Last Supper, you know, and all that that's going on on who's going to be the greatest. But, but we know that they eventually get it. And the reason why is because if you fast forward over to the book of Acts, Jesus has already died. He's been resurrected and ascended into heaven. And the Bible says that the biggest problem in the book of Acts, right there at the first of the early church, is that they couldn't get anybody to teach the Word of God. Why? Because they're looking around for the people that witnessed it, the disciples that should be teaching. And where are they? They're waiting on the tables. They're serving the widows. And I just wonder, I was talking to Gwen about this, I wonder if, if they were just in that situation and they go, hey, why don't you stand up on the platform and teach? And they're going, no, no, Jesus might be looking down thinking I got too big for my britches. I'm going to be serving the tables. Until finally that they, they appointed elders to be able to wait on the table so that they could teach the Word of God to people. They eventually would get this. They would eventually pick this up and make it part of themselves and say, this is who I am and this is my identity because I'm in Christ Jesus. We're going to turn the world upside down. Now this morning, let's go right back just for a few minutes back into the story before we come to the conclusion. The disciples are hearing all this. And we know that the story takes place where they get back up and they're on their way to Jerusalem. And I can't stress enough how high the emotions are when they arrive to the city. Because they have a great crowd of people with them. But when they see the city and they get closer to this, a larger crowd is waiting on them. And they enter the city with the shouts of Hosanna. People are throwing their coats down and their, their palm branches down. And that's why we call it Palm Sunday, if you didn't know. And, and everybody's cheering and Jesus is on the donkey and he's going in. 
And I just wonder if all the teaching that Jesus had taught them up to this moment went right out of their brain because they might have been wondering, this is it, this is it. A new government, a new king. And everybody knows who's going to be second. And probably all the disciples were going, this guy with the thumbs. And eventually the story will lead to the, the gathering in the upper room and the Passover meal will be served. And something happens after the meal that would resonate in the disciples' minds days, weeks, and months previous are just following this event. Listen to this story. In John chapter 13, verse 4, it says that when supper was over, he, Jesus took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. Can you imagine the people that are eating, the disciples, and they begin to panic? None of them had offered to wash their own feet, let alone somebody else's feet. That, that's considered, what was that? A slave's work. Even we know the story where Jesus gets to the place where he's going to wash Peter's feet. And he says, no, <laughs> no, sir, not my feet. But eventually he'll let him. And as Jesus would take each one of their feet, it would take a quite a while to do all his disciples' feet. And I just wonder about the humiliation that was going in their brains because of thinking something that they're going to be is great. All of a sudden came back to the moment of their, their leader serving them and washing their feet. They saw his hands as he picked up their dirty feet and began to wash it. Nobody wants to touch dirty feet. They would remember what those hands could do in healing people and breaking the bread and feeding thousands and thousands of people. And Jesus takes this opportunity then to illustrate again that roadside chat of how to be in the kingdom of God. In John chapter 3, verse 13, it says this, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an example that you should do as I've done for you. And then he restates what he had done on the road. He says, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to be served. And, and again, the idea is in the next verse. Listen to what it says in verse 15. It says, or verse 16, it says, Verily, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I wonder if Jesus could have said, you get it, Peter? Do you think you're greater than me? No, no, I don't, Jesus. James, John, come on. You think you want to be great? No, don't want to be, no. 
in verse 47, he finishes by saying, not that are now that you know these things, watch this, you'll be blessed if you do them. Guys, if you ever get going after I'm gone here, Jesus would say, and you think you're maybe bigger than you're, you should be. You're a legend in your own mind. Just go, go, go looking for some dirty feet to wash. Because I'm telling you, in my kingdom, it's not going to be like what you've experienced in the past. Now, now let, me, let me wrap this up. When, when they begin to say and, and take on a new principle of leadership, in other words, they would say, others first mentality. The early church and the, the Christians and the followers of Jesus will get to the place where the Romans, it, it will become to the Roman Empire, they will become appalling. Because here's an empire that majored on strength and victory and conquest and they're bigger and better than you. But the Christians took an upside down view to the kingdom. See, see, they got the other first mentality that what Jesus was telling them to be. And all of a sudden, what became appalling at the first would then become, even, even it doesn't even make sense because it's not natural. It's not intuitive. But what was appalling would become appealing. And then it would become contagious and spread throughout the empire. If you study the early church, plagues would come across the country and the empire and people were dying left and right and they would say that the pagan priest would kick out people and they would not take care of them where the Christians would never do that. They would take in the sick. They would serve the sick in the middle of their infections and in the middle of their gruesome pain that the Christians would be there and then they instead of the, the orphans that were kicked out because of their parents dying the church would come and take those children in and take care of them and those people that would look at the Christians and, and they would say those, those people are appalling they, they would say what what are they doing? And as they, they learned what the Christians were about, here's what they said. Here's what came to be the common denominator is because the Christians weren't afraid of dying. So they were people that could go into a dark situation and it was like someone bringing a light into it. They're like, who are these people? They were hope givers in a place that had no hope. See, leaders are often asked, how can I help you? Seldom do leaders ask the question to someone under them, how can I help you? In other words, what that is saying as a believer is you're telling people, how can I leverage who I am to help you? And in, even in today's modern world, 
that we look for leaders to follow that model what Jesus told his disciples. And people that don't model this and work from the top down, there's something about that leadership that all of us really don't even respect. It was a new day. Now, if you've noticed, we haven't talked about the big subject that's in the middle of the room. And this morning, we're going to talk just a few minutes about coronavirus. Number 19. Novel. That's looming over us and over the world. And I want to tell you this morning, aren't you, and I want you to respond, aren't you glad that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world? Come on. It is time for us as Christians to walk in wisdom, but at the same time, when we go into dark situation where people go, did you hear? We heard and we know the answer. And when we get to that place as Christians that we don't say, you don't have enough faith. We're not that kind of person. But we're the kind of Christian that comes along somebody and says, you know what? We'll walk with you. Well, I might have a cough. That's all right. I'm gonna walk with you. We're not those people that go, "Oh my goodness, you better, you better, you better get home, get away from me." No, again, we're not in the business of criticizing and judging somebody. Do you hear me? We're in the place of being as that early church is saying, where can we go? Where can we? You know, I, I look for the day where the government will say, hey, we need some Christians to come on over here. They need some encouragement. They need some people to help them. They need some strength in this area. They need someone to be a servant. How many people would be willing to do that? As you know, I turned away because I'm going somewhere and I believe that it is this way where Jesus says go. And so this morning as we end this time, again, I'm not here to judge anybody. I'm not here to say that somebody isn't this or that. I'm here to encourage you and give you hope that greater is He that is in me. Now listen, we, even if the virus is in me, I know that greater is He that is in me than even something that has come to try to take me down. I'm standing by faith. Be encouraged this morning. Take strength in knowing that Jesus is more powerful than any virus. Let's pray. Father, today, God, you have given us the ability to see the greatest of tragedies that come God, with faith, we believe that, Father, as we look to you for answers, that you'll give it to us. But, God, that we will not walk in fear, which a lot of times is worse than even the crisis at hand. We will not walk in fear. God, you have not given us the spirit of fear, but of sound mind. God, that you have given us the confidence to, to rest not, to lean not on our own understanding, but God, to acknowledge you in all of your ways. Father, that you'll make our path straight. 
Father, even as Psalms 91 says, as a thousand will fall on one side and 10,000 are, no harm will come to me. Father, we stand on the truth. Father, we love you and we thank you for that peace in our lives. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah.